just because I'm handling it in that one situation that one day doesn't mean I can handle it every day and also it doesn't make it okay. That was Grace Quantock and this is episode 25 of the Soul of Sensitivity podcast. I'm your host, Anna Holden. I'm a professional intuitive and energy healer. I help highly sensitive people dig into the shadows of their soul to access their gifts, reclaim their purpose, and get intimate with their ultimate truth. This is season two, and in it, we're exploring healers, specifically how they got here, how they do their healing magic, and the beliefs they have that guide them forward. We're also taking a peek at the specific practices they have in place to keep themselves healthy, Let's face it, being a badass in a sensitive body is no joke, and the healers I interview share their strategies for staying healthy while healing the world. This is the Soul of Sensitivity. Hi there, and welcome back to the podcast. It is Saturday, July 7th, as I am recording this intro, and it's it's a Saturday. Yeah, I don't generally work on Saturdays, but it's a Saturday, and my house is quiet. It's the first time that my son, who is 20 months old, is spending a weekend, a sleepover weekend, at his grandparents' house. And my husband is taking his first trip away from, you know, personal trip away from myself and from my son. And so we're all kind of doing our separate fun things this weekend. And it's such a different thing to wake up whenever I would like to wake up and to enjoy a cup of coffee and to get to choose whatever it is that I want to do on a Saturday morning. And so I'm I'm a little bit drowning in the freedom of it all, where I got a little overwhelmed in this thought of, there, there's so much that I could do, that I could spend this time doing, that I don't want to waste it, and I don't know what to do. <laughs> that I ended up just having to take a few breaths and, and sit down and look, what do I want to do this morning? Oh, I'd really like to edit this podcast that needs to go out. So that's what I'm doing. I've got my cup of coffee. I'm sitting here in my pajamas in my very quiet house. Um, and I am getting this podcast out. And it's it's just a really lovely freedom that um, I, I didn't realize this type of freedom is what would come with motherhood. Right. This is the part that I didn't that I didn't think about or didn't think to ask about was that, wow, having a leisurely morning, that that's something that I'm not going to have for several years um, consistently. My mornings generally consist of me waking up to my son jumping in his crib. Sometimes his diaper is still on. Sometimes it's not. Um, And then being he's at this age where he's forming a lot of opinions about the world, which is great. And he, he has me make oatmeal and then sit, mama sit. And he shows me where I need to sit and how we need to eat that morning. And 
he pretty much runs the show until we need to get somewhere. And there is all kinds of adorableness to that. And I love every minute of it. And it's very demanding. (laughs) So it's really nice to be here on this quiet Saturday morning with all of you. In a bit of personal news, some of you know that I have been recovering from my second round of SIBO. If you listened to episode 16 with Dr. Sabrina Kimball, you know that we talked all about the ins and outs of SIBO. And as we were talking, um, I didn't, I suspected it at the time, but I didn't know at the time that, that I was in um, the autoimmune response that causes another episode of SIBO. And so I have been on the low FODMAP recovery plan for about three weeks. Um, something that I just remembered yesterday was that, you know, there's a big link between the gut and the mind, um, a gut and mental health. And I have been kind of in and out of these waves of of darkness and just feeling a little feeling down and you know there's been some struggle in my life just like anybody's life right um and i just recognize that there could be this link between like oh right i killed all of my healthy gut bacteria well all of my gut bacteria um, in order to help me aid in restoring my digestion. And like, I'm not feeling super stoked about the world. <laughs> and there's been a lot of, of difficulty in the world as well. So um, so that's kind of what's happening in, in my personal life and well-being as I'm noticing these periods of just feeling a little down. And I'm on a really restricted diet and trying to restore my gut flora. And so, you know, I notice for me, one of the main things when I get down is I just, I stop engaging in social media because it becomes too much for me to really handle. So if you see me take kind of a break from social media, you know, like, oh, like she's probably working on her, on her gut bacteria. (laughs) Um, But that's starting to go a bit better. And The thing for me, I've noticed that when I get down, and I recognize this isn't possible for everyone, um, is that I I have to get outside. And I went yesterday, I had the opportunity to go for this really much larger uh, mountain bike ride than I often do, hoping to make it more of the norm, but to a new area just outside of Seattle that was created um, with fantastic biking and hiking trails and they're kept separate so there's um you know uh, separate trails for biking separate trails for hiking separate trails for biking uphill and downhill and it was incredible and I just felt like I was on top of the world so for me getting outside is really really helpful um as I go through this this period of of healing Um, and what that means um, for my, you know, gut uh, mind connection. Also, have y'all watched Hannah Gadsby's Nanette on Netflix? Because I think that everybody needs to watch that. You may have seen, I'd seen clips floating around on Facebook, which is why I clicked on it when I was having a night and watching Netflix on my own. And it's, it is... I can't stop thinking about it, basically. Um, it's, it's you know, she's she's a comedian. So this is pinned as her comedy show. 
Um, but a little bit of a spoiler alert, it, it's really a very raw story. She gets into um, she gets into really telling where her jokes came from and why it's not funny anymore. And, you know, there, we sh- there should probably be a bit of a trigger warning on that show um, because it gets fairly intense. But really, we should all watch it. I don't want to give away more than that. I'd really like you to to watch that. And if you're cisgendered, watch it specifically. If you're if you're white and cisgendered, even more so. If you're white, cisgendered, and identifies a male, even more so. Watch it. And um, if you can, you know, really try to to watch it with this, you know, open mind, like witnessing what's going on for you as she switches between comedy and. Um, some of her more uh, real emotion out there. I find that whenever I watch something that makes me a bit uncomfortable, um, if I'm in the right frame of mind, I can use that discomfort for growth. And that's kind of what I'm going to be talking about today with my guest, Grace. I'm so excited to have this conversation and put this conversation out there. I actually met Grace in a memoir writing class that I took, and we uh, connected really instantly. And Grace is uh, one of these people who's just created an incredible life and is a trailblazer, um, doing all kinds of things, um, kind of out of a seat of discomfort um, in the beginning. And I'm not going to try to tell Grace's story because that's why she's a guest here. Um, But before I do that, I just really want to thank Um, all of you who have donated on Patreon. We got a couple new patrons this week, and I'm so grateful. I'm really grateful to Shannon, who uh, pledged. Shannon's a personal friend of mine. um, So I was really, when when personal friends of mine um, donate to actually what I'm doing for work, it's, it's a, it's like, I mean, it's just so special. Like I, I'd never expect that. And I was really, really grateful. Shannon and I met actually when we were both pregnant and had, um, it was just, we had have had really sweet times together. So that was really nice to see that. So thank you. And then thank you to M. M joined at the Join the Refuge for Sacred Rebellion level. Um, and she is now involved in that group. And so I want to take a minute to tell you what we're doing in the refuge this month. Because I notice that I, I talk about the refuge sometimes, but don't talk about what we're doing. Um, and so this month, the month of July, we are moving forward with this theme about embodiment. The thing that I've noticed working with highly sensitive people over the years is that we have, most of us have natural tendencies to be um, in kind of the the upper chakras of our system. So to be really creative and, and be really thoughtful, incredibly compassionate, um, and and have a more difficult time accessing our de- the denser areas of life. So accessing our bodies, accessing um, feeling safe in our bodies, uh, having it really easy, having a really, really easy relationship with money for example. Um, And as a, it it can become pretty natural um, as highly sensitive people when we have too much sensation in our body, when our body is just feeling like, like it's um, too loud, basically, we spiritually, we kind of eject, 
we eject upward, we hang out more in those upper chakra areas, which is fine as a safety mechanism, but long term, that, that doesn't work because it creates a disconnect between the body, the spirit, soul, or psyche, uh, and it makes it much more difficult to live in our bodies, to actually be here in these bodies in the planet, or on the planet rather. And so part of what we're working with in July is um, accessing different means of body awareness activities to become really aware of when we're in our bodies, when we're out of our bodies, and to have a greater understanding of sensation within our body. Because what I've found is that if we can have a really broad range of sensation, if we can categorize within our body a big range of sensation, um, then we can work with more sensation. So for example, sometimes if we, we get an injury per se, that might be the first time that we've actually had to really pay attention to our body and everything might feel like pain. And sometimes if we can increase our ability to sit with all kinds of sensation, if we can increase our awareness, then we realize that not everything has to be at a pain level. We can have a range of sensation with our body and we're able to much more articularly or articulately, I think that's the word I'm going for, um, work with our body to, to create change and healing. So that's, that's what we're doing in the refuge right now, in the Refuge for Sacred Rebellion, which is a membership group. Um, each month we have a theme and we work on things related to being highly sensitive and living in highly sensitive bodies. So you can join that group on Patreon if you also want to get all of the um, benefits of being a patron. And you can also join that on my website um, if you are not really interested in supporting me on Patreon, but you'd like to join the group, you can do that on the website. It really means a lot to me um, when you support the show. Um, part of the things I'm working on are having a consistent transcription for this show because right now my show is only accessible to those who like to listen to shows. I don't have a regular uh, transcription. It takes too much of my time because I'm not a professional transcriptionist um, to do this myself. It's just impossible to transcribe a whole thing by myself. Um, this show, however, I'm working with Grace to make sure that the show is transcribed. And that is really important to me. Accessibility is important to me. Um, so when you um, subscribe on Patreon, that helps things like that happen. And if you're not able to subscribe on Patreon, I totally understand that. Going to iTunes, giving me a rating, leaving a review is incredibly helpful iTunes and podcasts work on an algorithm where the more people who like it, review it, rate it, the more eyes it gets put in front of. It's suggested more. So if you like the show and you think others, um, you know, you'd like to give others access to it, just writing a, or writing a review or rating the show can be really helpful. All right, let's get into today's interview with Grace Quantrock. So as I said before, Grace uh, is somebody that I met in a memoir writing class, and she is just fantastic. She's a wellness 
provocateur and healing trailblazer. And she just loves hearing people's stories, helping people um, and healing, helping people heal and healing herself. Grace says she wants to live in a world where everyone is loved, accepted, supported, and when illness, disability, difference, trauma, or grief throw your life off track, you can blaze a trail to a truer you. She's helping to build a world through her work as an award-winning international wellness expert, coach, teacher, and social entrepreneur. I love that people like Grace are out there building a better world for us all. Without further ado, here's my interview with Grace. Let's let's talk a little bit about you. So, you know, part of the stuff that you're really an expert at and do so gracefully, if I can use your name, but just like gracefully is, you know, how to live really well within limits. I love this, um, uh, the thing you write about how to change the world from your bed. Because I work, I mean, I myself have been in positions like that. And I work with so many highly sensitive people who have um, chronic pain or some sort of disability that keeps them from feeling like they can make a difference, which is really a challenging uh, position to, to be in or, or to feel that type of helplessness. It's, it's incredibly challenging. And it's so, um, I feel that we're so inundated with images that reinforce those struggles. And we have so few role models. Um, that teach us that it is possible for us to live and work from whatever space we're in. And by, and by saying that, I want to say that really carefully because um, I really believe in naming and working and fighting to change the meta injustice. So my, I, I, really, I really don't want um, my work to be taken in any way as, um, don't worry about ableism, kiriaki, patriarchy, or capitalism, because you could be happy in bed. Like, that's not what we're doing. <laughs> Please yeah, I, I was not thinking that, but I'm glad you clarified that for listeners. That's that's beautiful. I just I just want to be careful because I was I um somebody once uh, saw one of my talks and they came up to me afterwards and and they said, well, um, you know. If you can do it, anyone can. That's what your work's all about. And I think, what? What? Mm. And so I said, hold, hold on, there's quite a lot happening there. So, so just let me clarify. Are you saying that I am kind of the nadir? I am kind of the, the lowest possible denominator that one's life could reach. And so therefore, mm. if I can do this, then surely everybody else should buckle up and, ca- and try harder? I'm thinking... I disagree with every aspect of that statement mm-hmm. from top to bottom. So just, um, I'm sure your listeners wouldn't think that, but I'm just really conscious that um, we often receive a lot of very individually holistic messages, which tell us that it doesn't matter about the larger um, injustices. We just, we can kind of, I don't know, paint our toenails and then it will be okay. And while my work you know, this, this work about living well from your bed does work from the same environment, the situation you find yourself in. I'm hoping at least to, well, 
the the theory and, and the and the ethos behind it um, is coming from a very very different place, which is that while we're in this situation that we find ourselves in, while we do what we can or um, have done or hope to do what we can to change the larger matter injustices, that actually our joy in this moment and our, and our work in this moment can also be a very potent form of resistance, mm. that we don't have to wait until we look like the people on the covers of the magazines to make change. Oh, I love that, that your joy in the moment that you find yourself in is a potent form of resistance. Did I hear that right? You heard that exactly right. I, I love that. It gives me goosebumps, right? Because it's like, um, it's, it's not, the, it's, you're right, it's not the message that we're getting. The message that we're getting from the oppressive structures are, well, if you just buck up and be like everybody else, then you'll be okay. Yeah, yeah, and, and it can go so, and it can go so, so deep with that. And even I'm, I'm feeling my way towards the statement. I'm, I'm, you know, processing what we're saying in this moment. I feel that there can also be something that, um, that if one person has done something, then we should all do it. So, um, I remember my um, grandmother was talking to me, and she was saying that when she had twins. Um, when they, when her, so my mother and, and her brother, when they were infants, um, she really she knew she was it was difficult. You know she struggled, and she said the doctor told her there's a woman in the village who's got twins and she's fine. Oh, that's so helpful. So helpful, and and, and also and and so divisive. Yes. And, and and so she said sometimes she would sit there with twin each arm and just think, well I can't, and and so it's. It's very much about, um, because I, I always think that the, situation we, the situations we find ourselves in with pain and illness, we didn't ask for this to happen. No. We didn't manifest this happening. If you believe no. that for you, then I respect your belief and I'll work with you on it. But I personally don't believe that I manifested my illnesses and I don't believe that, that we manifested it. I don't believe that I needed some kind of life lesson from the universe by almost dying. Right. I, and I also don't believe that that's the most efficient way to teach. So, you know, we didn't, we didn't ask for this. We didn't want this to be here. We, it's, it's, it's not something we've called upon ourselves. And it's not necessarily like a, it's not lesson that we need or something that's here, you know, that we need to kind of turn it around or make something best of it. But while we are in this situation, as we find ourselves here, what can we do in this moment today to live as well as possible? And that might involve being angry and upset, and it might also involve having something small that just means that we don't have to wait until one day or better or miracle cure to have any kind of life. Yes, 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 I love that. Uh, I so uh, for me personally, I related to what you said about the woman, the doctor and the twins, because I have felt incredibly overwhelmed with my one son, who by all, you know, by all stretches of, of definition is, is, you know, what people like to call a good baby, you know, where they he, he, um, you know, doesn't cry that much and he sleeps 
decently. And, you know, he does the quote, good things. And my nervous system is still fried. And my adrenal glands are, are still uh, reached burnout. And, you know, I would kind of look around and it's like other people are doing this. Um, and I had to catch myself, right? Cause it's like other people are doing this and I'm not able to do that. And the more that I could just get okay with it, this is just my limit. This is just it for me. The, you know, that, that felt like a little bit of a rebellion. Um, yeah. Um, I, yes, totally. And I really feel that, that the aspects of us, which can be monetized mm -hmm. for productivity can get really, really praised. So, yeah. you know, the ability, people who have, who maybe aren't highly sensitive, mm -hmm. um, it can, it can seem like, uh, I don't know, but, but sorry, too many thoughts happening at once. So <laughs> I, um, yeah, I, I really feel that it's, the aspects of us which can um, be used for productivity can get really, really praised. So yes. for me, it's really easy for people to praise um, what they perceive as my resilience. And yes. I'm really, um, I really cherish the resilience that, that I have. I really believe it's a beautiful concept. Mm -hmm. um, I am also sometimes, as resilience becomes more and more kind of a, a generic term, mm -hmm. um, I am sometimes seeing it used in a way that I feel is almost being weaponized mm. um, because sometimes it seems to be um, the ability to ignore the signals from one's body, to pretend that, to quote, the body doesn't keep the score or to suppress or, or you know, try and medicate um, in a, you know, less, in a, not in a choiceful way, but in a we feel forced to do it to be able to get the resources we need way. Um, Right. It's just almost become a synonym for pushing. It's just like the nicer way to say it. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. exactly. Or a way that people are saying that they are removing resources. So <sighs> develop mm. your resilience because, hey, austerity, no resources. And you think, no, 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 no. I'm pr I like that. That's not what resilience means. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I like that you're drawing this distinction that, um, that, that you're seeing, you know, resiliency, resilience or resiliency being valued over the other parts of you, which is not actually getting at the problem. It's just a way that we're continuing within the same system of valuing productivity, you know, resiliency can, you know, like you said, can lead to this sense of productivity. And so yay for resiliency. <laughs> yes. It can be very convenient because it's, um, if I can, if I can handle when something isn't accessible, then people don't have to make that, make it accessible. But just because I'm handling it in that one situation, that one day, doesn't mean I can handle it every day. And also it doesn't make it okay. Yes. And, yes. and I really don't want to be held up as an example of why it's okay because it's it's not it's it, it's not it's not okay, um, and you know coming back to kind of you know how we change the world from our beds, I feel that so often 
so many of us are going to be housebound or homebound for various reasons, mm-hmm. whether that is, you know, caring for a small child mm-hmm. or an elder, mm-hmm. or maybe we are in a stage of pregnancy or a condition in pregnancy where we need to, where that person needs to stay at home more. Mm-hmm. Or anything from like a broken bone to a chronic illness, to a serious illness, to lack of accessible transport. You know, mm-hmm. so or hey, you know, some people are um, detained in their homes. You know, there's so many reasons why we may um, spend a lot of time there. And there are people who who have um, changed the world from their home and their bed, but it's kind of they're not often the ones that that we hear about and right. it's, it's often very um it's not celebrated in in the same way right right all right so i would like us to back up a little bit grace can you tell us more about um how you got to be doing this awesome work that you're doing i certainly can so i have been husband and bedbound through illness and pain and through um, mobility difficulties. Mm-hmm. Um, I have been housebound, you know, for years and uh, also bedbound for, and, um, you know, for a considerable period and bedbound kind of completely. So not mm-hmm. like most bed, like actually absolutely in, in bed. And not that that kind of differentiates it or makes it any lesser if the person isn't entirely confined to bed. Sure. But sometimes I think it, I think people use the term, and what they mean is kind of spending a lot of day on the on the on the sofa, mm-hmm. which can have some different um, uh, qualities and experiences to actually being in the bed in the bed itself. Um, Correct. Yeah. You know, and I just want to kind of make sure that I'm not using the term lightly and so i am including people for whom they are actually um you know you know stuck stuck in the bed um and when i was there you know i tried um to fight against the limits Mm. and to ignore them that did not work and then i started to work more towards how to live well within them Mm. And so it's in some ways it can be incredibly nuanced territory because it's not kind of giving up in inverted commas or giving in, not that I would be dismissive of anybody who chose to do that because, you know, surrendering and being with your situation, that's an absolutely valid choice to make. Mm-hmm. Um, but in this case, I realized that I could be fabulous and joyful and Mm -hmm. empowered now Mm -hmm. not when I'd finally got better because what is getting better and and not when I finally cured myself against all the doctor's prognoses because you know I had finally manifested that miracle (laughs) (laughs) because I tried Um, and instead I thought well I've experienced ex- difficult, extraordinary things, and I can't, I'm not, they're not going to find a way back to before, but I can find a way onwards to live well. And so I do still live with pain and illness and symptoms, 
but I'm happier and in many ways I'm healthier than when I got ill. Mm-hmm. And so in that way there has been healing. Right. And so then, you know, this work that's on your website, which we'll post in the show notes, you know, living well within limits, changing the world from your bed. So it, it sounds like this is something you created to share some of your experience as an offering, is that? Yes. Um, well, what happened was I was, um, let me see, I took 22. I'm not mm-hmm. super good at dates, particularly. Um, and um, <laughs> I, uh, the doctors thought that I already had several chronic illnesses. And um, the doctors then thought that I had sarcoma very extensively, mm. which is a type of bone cancer. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, that's pretty scary. Yeah. And while I was waiting to hear the results of that, I thought, you know what, I am really, really tired of being scared. Mm-hmm. And so I was in hydrotherapy and I was actually in the changing room and I had, this was, this is going to make me sound very old, but then there's a lot of beautiful things about being old. So <laughs> I had a mobile phone, which was obviously a pretty smartphone, and it was like one of those bricks. Yes. Know, like, yes. And it didn't, ha- it didn't have notes or anything on it because they didn't have those. So what I did was I text myself, I sent a text message. And in the text message, I wrote the things that I wanted to do if I was going to stop being so scared and do them. And some of them were huge things. Like I wanted to uh, make these healing boxes which we've been making for a few years actually as a proper business rather than just kind of we were living, um, I was living on disability benefits and it wasn't legal for me to work so I couldn't actually sell the boxes. I and see. It was quite complicated legally. Um, and I also wanted to share my healing journey story um, because at the time, uh, there weren't really a lot of wellness blogs in Britain. Sure. Like, at all. I mean, it's amazing to see now. <laughs> really. Um, but at the time... Um, a lot, of, a lot of the wellness stuff was really, really based in the US. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the culture of it, I felt, was at least where I was living in Wales, was quite different. Mm. So, for example, I could not imagine, I still can't imagine, hugging my doctor. Uh. It just, no. Or calling him anything but doctor. Mm. Because it just... And so some of it was amazing but felt very, very different to the world I was living in. And sure. so I've been trying to, to work out how to live well. So not fighting for a cure, because I did try that, and that did not work. Mm. Um, and, you know, then I felt like a failure, because, you know, I was seeing all these stories of people who had fought for cures, and, and then they were better, and they were running marathons, and they'd just been bed-bound. And I was like, I'm bed-bound, and I, like, have muscle wastage, and, like, you know fragile bones I yeah. don't understand how you can gain enough muscle mass to run a marathon that quickly like I thought you were bed man last week I'm really please tell me how you did it um you know it was really scary times um, yeah and so I was working out you know how to live well so not miracle cures but also not um losing myself in the popular caricature of what disability looks like so I wasn't yeah. quite ready to go for the kind of tartan blanket over my knees and 
that's just my symbol though. People can have different. If you love tartan blankets, then all power to you. Um, you know, and and kind of well, like at the start, you know, I'd I used to like like certain things, and then suddenly I couldn't do those things anymore. And so I looked around what other same people were doing, and I tried doing that, and it was all hobbies and pastimes that I just I really hated. Yeah. And lots. Of, Lots of them seem to involve these little beads. I don't know what they're called, but they're beads, and you put them in a frame, and then somebody irons them, and it makes like a picture. Yeah. Okay. I don't know what they're called either, but I know what you're talking about. Right. And and this was like a kind of um, and like it's you know lots of people, and and I also had you know cognitive dysfunction and memory loss, and so you know something really simple and gentle can be really really beautiful. But um, I just really struggled with the landfill possibility of it because I'm like this plastic has been manufactured and then I kind of put it into a shape and then I have to do something with this plastic lump that I've somehow made and do I give it to somebody else and they have to dispose of it one day and can it be recycled and you know it really kind of got to me um uh-huh. the ethics of, of of that so I just couldn't do it and so instead I I thought well do you know what I need to work out how to do my things my way within what I can do now yeah, um, and so when I got the um, news from the doctors after hydrotherapy that um, I did not have sarcoma, thankfully, but I did have very severe osteoporosis, um, which is you know not life-threatening, so that was great. Although not super great news at 22. Um, right. I you know I decided okay, I now don't have to battle through treatment, though so I got some some time spare. And I am going to do the the things from my list, which was little things like I wanted to camp in the woods, which we then, you know, I, I'd been kind of bed bound and stuff, so that was like a really big deal to be able to manage that. But 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 we did, and I also wanted to wear earrings every day, which I now do. And, awesome. Which is which is just, that was on my list, and I wanted to set up healing boxes, which we have. It's a non profit. It's now at healing-boxes.com Are these the bespoke boxes that I see on your website? They are, yeah. Oh, they just look beautiful. I mean, absolutely beautiful. I'll put a link to that in the show notes for everyone. They're incredible. Thank you. I just, I've been amazed at how how far they've gone. I mean, you know, it's it's a small, ethically run business. Every, uh-huh. or everything in the boxes is ethically made and ethically sourced. Mm-hmm. Um, we have very inclusive um, employment and volunteering policies, or at least we hope we do that. That's the intentions we're working towards. Um, mm-hmm. And they have been featured in The Times, Marie Claire magazine, The Guardian, <sighs> The Observer, NPR, Huffington Post. Um, so wow. Many that's awesome. That's incredible, Grace. That's that's just wonderful. And I just and I just I the idea is that um, when somebody is hurting, because obviously when I was in bed, I go I, I people very kindly sent me gifts. Right. And they were gifts I could not use, or right. they were gifts that were made in unethical ways from unrecyclable, unrecyclable materials that were just kind of going to go back into landfill. Yeah. And, and it, and it really got to me because also if you imagine you're stuck in bed and you're in a lot of pain and you maybe don't have a lot of contact with the outside world, if you don't have a lot of screen time available, which, which I didn't and don't. Um, so you get really excited about a gift. 
and then it comes and you can't use it and it's really horrible and it's just like well that could have been nice except I can't access it um, right so we decided to make you know these bespoke boxes um which are made of things that um you know could be very allergen friendly and and the idea is that a gift is an opportunity it's an opportunity to help the person that is getting the gift but also right. you giving it but also the people who make the items which go into the gift and the planet through not putting another wasteful thing onto the earth and so that's what we intend to do when in it in making the healing boxes and in each box you're prompted to turn it into your own self-care kit um so that you use it as a as a tool for your um your well-being going forwards that's amazing i just if if everybody had those values for every gift can you imagine how the planet would be different that's just i i love how you've set that up it's beautiful that's just beautiful thank you i'm i am continually humbled by the um, response that the boxes get it's um, mm-hmm. it's it's been very very beautiful so we set up healing boxes and you know I also launched Trailblazing Wellness um, which is which is at my website and I started doing this work and it has been developing and growing um gosh for about eight years that's awesome so um and so tell me a little bit more about um, like what's on your website and what do you, uh, like what do you consider your work to be? That's a really good question. She says, swiftly navigating to her own website. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's always kind of funny because people will ask me that question and I'm like, do I yeah, do? I don't like, what do I do? You know, I do. I know I can, I can say what I do, but I'm swiftly trying to remember what exactly is on the website. Um, no, I do. <laughs> I do know that too. Um, so, uh, what I I feel that um, hmm, just letting myself reflect on the question because it's be- it's actually quite a beautiful question. I started. Um, hmm, sorry. I'm now getting really philosophical about what is it that I do on this planet. Hmm. So uh, I feel that my intention is to add more inclusion and compassion to the world. <sighs> and that I want to support people. I, 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 often end, I often start the kind of point at which I often come in to work with people is um, during... Uh, when they have life crises in some way. Mm. Um, Because we talk about trailblazing and the idea is that you maybe had a plan for your life, as many of us do, or Mm -hmm. hopes or intentions. And sometimes Mm -hmm. something occurs, whether that is a a, a quiet disability or an accident or grief or pain, or you suddenly become a carer or you live in a country which elects somebody terrible and everything starts going even more obviously difficult than it was already. Mm-hmm. So, you know, for whatever reason, so something gets, gets extra difficult and it moves you off, or throws you off track. So what we say is, can you then, mm. can we then use it as an opportunity to forge a new path mm-hmm. and blaze your own trail to 
to the truer you. And this came because I was um, talking with my, my partner one day and we were, I was um, feeling very much kind of the odd person out, very othered. Mm. And, you know, as I, I think I've mentioned a little bit about kind of wellness, you know, blogging and things. Well, at the time, you know, there weren't really, um, like, I, I was, you know, nobody had heard of green juice. You couldn't buy Vitamixes in the UK. Mm. Um, nobody had heard around that I knew of a life coach, apart from my grandmother, who turned around and said, I know about life coaches because I've read about them in the Times. They have them in London, darling. <laughs> so, <laughs> so she goes, I know what that is. It was in the Times. So, yes. they, so it was, it was that that kind kind of place. And so the things I was doing were like green juice and coaching were um, not very well known. In fact, yeah. I was once at a qigong class and somebody came up to me and I was drinking my green juice out of a kilna jar, and somebody said, "Is that pond water?" I think it was <laughs> to class. <laughs> I think they were quite disappointed that I hadn't brought tadpoles to class. <laughs> not that I would, you know, take and use tadpoles for my own purposes or remove them from their natural environment. But right. and it's also been called paint water. Like, you know, it's, um, I was actually um, at a training recently and somebody came down and sat next to me and said, what's that, Grace? It's disgu- it looks disgusting. Uh-huh. So still green juice can engender some interesting um, responses. But um, I, and, and I said, you know, I'm fed up always being like this other person always doing the weird things and always yeah. being this sick chick and so my husband said well what if you're not a sick chick yeah. what if you're actually just a trailblazer what if you're just ahead uh. of the curve and what if you're doing things differently and you're doing them your way and the way it works for you and you're blazing a trail and suddenly yeah. I went whoa going from seeing myself as the person who's othered the person who is not able to do the conventional things i instead mm-hmm. became a person who having been kicked out of convention by the narrow constraints of what convention is which doesn't include disability queerness um often unfortunately still you know mixed, mixed race relationships all of which i have around it oh, i'm in mm-hmm. and so having been convention being inaccessible i kind of had a, a a space to create something that works for me and that's what being trailblazer is awesome that's awesome yeah and, and um sorry there's so many thoughts in my head it's i i mean the other words that i put that are, are like you know rebel and revolutionary and mm-hmm. pioneer and i love that you've chosen the world tra- trailblazer so then how do you help others live well within their limits? Imagine it's not formulatic, right? You know, it's not no, <laughs> a no. fits-all formula. No, no. no. We, we tend to, I, I, you know, I work with each person where they are. I mean, I do have an e-book, um, which is an, uh, it's a sure. e and audio book, um, which is called Beyond the Boundaries, Finding Freedom and Fulfillment Within Four Walls. Mm. And that actually guides you through creating your own limits liberation plan. So I don't give you any kind of blueprint or a formula because I can't. Of course not, yeah. Would would that I could, but obviously we don't work like that as creatures. But 
what I can do is help facilitate you to create your own. And so the, the e and audiobook are actually an experiential process, which as you go through them, um, helps you to build so that you actually leave the experience with your own plan. Awesome. That's so, that, sounds, that sounds incredibly empowering to have next to you. Thank you. And my hope is that because it's an ebook and audiobook, and it's got um, you know extra interviews and resources and printables and guides, the idea is that it's supposed to support people who learn in various ways. And people mm -hmm. often, especially people who've got fatigue, they often flip between the audio and the um, uh, and the and the e-copy. Mm -hmm. um, I also do have in there 500 fun things to do when you are stuck in bed. <laughs> wow, 500. <laughs> yeah. That's that awesome. Very, it was very fun to write. I, had, I asked a lot of people um, if they could, you know, donate, kindly donate suggestions and for, in return for a copy of, of the finished book. Um, and I got some fantastically interesting suggestions. It was, it was so that they are, they are all in there. But having, you know, not just to kind of say, Oh, I have a book. I do also have some points which I could share now, um, which yeah. are useful maybe thinking points around how to live well when living with limits. Please, I would love us to go through those. Okay, fantastic. Thank you. So, in terms of creating an accessible, joyful, meaningful life when you're living with chronic illness or caring responsibilities or multiple life challenges, um, I think one of the first things that's really useful is to notice um, the expectations mm. because I my experience is that often we are seeing our own dreams through a lens which isn't ours yes and that limits us mm. and that's a limit that maybe actually we can hand back mm -hmm. and so I really um, you know believe that we can hand back what's what's not us and so to give an example of this because you know it can sound very abstract but how does it actually work in life well I um was let me think uh when I was first trying to start my business I had a social worker and I mean when I say this story I mean no disrespect to social workers whatsoever this is actually I think an example of the social worker's own limits because of the paradigm that he was living in Mm -hmm. and and the paradigm that some of the training was in mm. um, which you know if you're thinking kind of when people were trained and kind of I feel like a lot of um, changes are accelerating right now which is you know really fantastic but also can be very challenging for people who've been trained in quite an old paradigm because it can very quickly not fit yes yes if, you, if, if, if that makes sense um so yes I, absolutely makes sense okay that's great and so I wanted to 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 work um, to share this, this uh, to share my work, but um, I was unable to sit up for more than kind of maybe twenty minutes, I guess. Mm. Um, and I couldn't use either of my arms, mm. and I couldn't walk. Or you couldn't un couldn't walk. I, I see. Couldn't walk. No. Got it. And mm -hmm. I couldn't sit up unaided, so I had to kind of be, um, you know, have like the the, the v-shaped pillow or, or the straw kind of be held up in the wheelchair because my course my, my core strength wasn't enough that I, I didn't have the um, 
the core strength to be able to sit up unaided. Mm-hmm. So, um, so it, it was tough. And I, you know, explained this, and my social worker said, "Well, I don't, I can't see anything that you can do, mm-hmm. and I can't see how anybody's ever going to employ you, or how you're ever ever going to earn any money." Hmm. And I just thought, well, but that shows how limited you are, unfortunately, yeah. because all you're seeing is my limits and you're right. not seeing what I can do. Right. So what I can do is share my experience of what it's like to live in this way and how to survive it. Hmm. And what I can do is instruct somebody in how to do it. So like, it's kind of like having a sous chef. You know, mm-hmm. I could make a cake. I just wouldn't be the one physically touching the flour. Right. But, you know, if, when, if one were to make a cake, one might use an oven or a mm-hmm. mixer. But mm-hmm. we wouldn't say, oh, actually, I didn't make that cake. The oven and the mixer did. Right. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> That's brilliant. <laughs> so, you know, some of that was just, um, I was noticing that the expectation for what made something real or to actually do something was somehow this level of individualism that I was supposed to be able to do everything myself. Right. There's also a very false level of individualism because actually um, compare that to um, say I was able, I, my goal wasn't making cakes, but cakes were a nice concrete example to talk about. Say I was able to make a, a, a cake without um, any kind of personal assistance from, from another human mm-hmm. animal and I was just able to do it in, independently mm-hmm. I might think oh well I made that cake all on my own but of course I didn't because somebody right. else ground, you know, grew the grain and ground the flour and transported it and maybe somebody else wrote the recipe and of course somebody taught me to make a cake in the beginning um, mm-hmm. someone made the oven that it baked in you know? <laughs> you know somebody I mean we're, we're very lucky we have um good energy so for every unit of electricity we use a renewable unit is put back into the national grid awesome which is really cool but um you know people are working to make to make and hey the planet is, is making the energy that fires that oven so it's in some way I, I i started to see having assistance as being a much um as being part of, of being part of that wider community and I thought right. of how, you know, sometimes my grandmother will instruct me in doing things that she can't, she can no longer do, but she can tell me how to do them. Right. And I can do this for her. But then we all do those, we all do that, I think, for each other all the time. So there's a great book about sex and disability. Um, and it says that often, some of the, one of the myths about sex is that it's often very spontaneous. Right. And, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that for sex, for, for, for sex, to, well, for, well, for any sex, solo sex or partner sex, for any kind of sex to be real, um, you know, real, it is spontaneous. <laughs> and that if maybe you had to um, change uh, a catheter or um, empty a, a, a colostomy bag, or if you had to um, have a personal assistant help you to find a position, or if you had to rest before or rest after, that somehow all of that would invalidate the sexual experience itself. Mm. But they said, well, actually, many people anticipate sex. They, they might decide to, they might fantasize about it. Right. They might, um, if they do remove, choose to remove body hair, they might choose to get waxed. Right. 
they might um, choose to have a special meal, like a date, or they might go to a club and, and meet somebody with an anticipation of having sex. Mm-hmm. You know, there can be, but somehow all that is kind of often ignored as, as though that doesn't happen. And as though right. it's just a spontaneous thing. Right. And so I think, well, you know, how, how do we kind of move that with us? So what are the expectations that we have around what it looks like to make a difference? Mm-hmm. What are the expectations we have around what it looks like to be happy and be well? And then, you know, handing back, I, I literally imagine handing back the pieces that aren't mine. I think, well, you know, that's not my view about sex. I, I never came up with that view. That was imposed upon me by a wider system. And now I've realized I have it. I'm going to work to, um, to challenge it within myself. I, I absolutely love that, uh, that visualization of like, oh, this isn't mine. This was just imposed upon me. Here you go. <laughs> I'm going to hand it back. What a powerful, what a powerful visualization. I love that. Well, it comes from, um, there is a fantastic training um, called heroin training. Um, mm. which uh, Zandra does. I'm just going to try to find the site. And um, she taught or teaches um, a Harry Potter life coaching school. No way. That yes. sounds amazing. <laughs> this is literally <laughs> one of my favorite things I've ever done in my life. Because, and I am so honored to say that I was um, actually uh, got the privilege of, of being a... Um, uh, one of the faculty at this online Hogwarts life coaching school. Oh my God, that's amazing. It was so, I, I got to be the healer. Of um, course. Thank you, which, which was just, um, which is fantastic. Yeah. It's it, it, absolutely amazing. And as part of my teaching that I did on that, um, we were talking um, about uh, uh, various way, ways of working with challenge. And one of them, we created a hex to hand it back. Yes. Yes. Okay. Tell me more about the hex. <laughs> well, I think it, w- it was fantastic. I actually, I did a video for it and I actually was dressed up and there was a wand and there was actually, um, thro- actually handing back. Um, it's, it's, it is in, the website is herointraining.com. Okay. And actually it, it is part of, um, of Zandra's training. Um, and if you do do her, um, her, her, her online uh, school, then you will actually get access, I believe, to, to that video. Okay, we'll make sure that we include all of that in the show notes so that people can find, find that and, um, yeah, get their hex working for them. <laughs> yes. And, and I think also to the next point is which is linked is to focus we call it focusing on the feeling and not just the shape yeah yeah talk more about that intuitively I'm like that makes so much sense but let's let's spell it out was easy to focus on what the shape of the dream might look like Hmm. but actually what is it really yeah so maybe I um maybe I want wanted well okay when I was a child I wanted to be a nurse and also an actress Mm -hmm. and also a pianist 
And so I was going to go, go in the hospital on a piano, uh-huh. playing the piano, room to ward to ward, while healing, and also acting. See, because of course one does. So yes, yeah. of course, <laughs> of course. So but you you can see it, can't you? It would be fantastic. Um, and so you could say, well, that that hasn't happened, but the shape of it hasn't happened. So I'm clearly right. not a nurse. Right. But what is the feeling of that? So the feeling of that, maybe you could say, is being involved in the healing arts. And, yes. you know, it's interesting. I specifically as a child picked a nurse, not a doctor. So yeah. I wanted to be, you know, on the ground with people. Right. Not in any kind of an expert position. Right. I wanted to have enough, you know, training and experience to actually be able to work safely. And it right. isn't to say that nurses aren't, professional and experienced and experts because they're absolutely experts but if we look at the history of nursing versus doctors nursing and midwifery comes from a very very different route in terms of my understanding and reading of it and my study of it to right. the 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 route that modern doc, modern um, medical doctor studies has has grown from mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And there's different, yeah, there's different intentions behind it. I mean, when I think back, I had a, um, I I attempted to give a home birth and then was in labor for over two days and uh, requested to go to the hospital. And what I remember the most are my nurses. My doctor was barely there. She was great, but it's the nurses who, and and my doula, you know, who got me through that. Yeah. So I hear that. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Yes. Mm -hmm. I'm glad, I'm, I'm glad you had them there. Oh, me too. My gosh, yeah. And so that, you know, that feeling of kind of being on the ground. And, you know, I wanted to offer something that was creative and healing. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, the actress, I kind of, you know, there was something about, um, you know, sharing my voice. Yeah. And if you think of my work now, you know, I do offer healing, working mm-hmm. not from a expert position but from a um a more like more of a, a supportive on the ground position mm-hmm. um you know very very rooted in the um the sacred midwife work mm-hmm. i do share my voice both through writing and through speaking on stage um and i do share a creative healing work both through uh working with sacred creativity uh art journaling um, through working with writing and working with the sacred arts and uh, yeah. healing arts so mm-hmm. if we kind of look at the feeling of the dream that's very very much been true for me you know and I love what you're saying about this because I would perhaps argue that the, the thing that generates the dream when we sit down and generate dreams it's because we're hoping for that dream to bring us certain feelings totally Exactly. So I love um, like changing that focus from the, yeah, the shape, what it looks like to what the feeling is. What's it actually giving you on that, that body sensory, um, emotional level satisfaction. The sat- it's like the satisfaction component, you know? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And so that's, and then I think, you know, we can, um, in terms of, you know, how to change the world from bed, you know, I really do believe that our joy is resistance, especially when increasingly 
we are being called upon in large and small ways if we have multiple marginalizations, especially those around disability and impairments. Mm-hmm. Um, we are being called upon to, you know, by wider society to not be joyful. Yeah. And so I think every time I, I, um, I just, I, I wanted to tell a story, but I wanted to do a little content warning first, if that's okay. Of course. So I'm going to talk just for a little bit, but this content, this um, story mentions uh, thoughts of suicide. Okay, thank you. So, thank you. I, could, I will just, um, I will say another little one in, in, about, in about a minute so that people can skip if they want to, if I, I hope that's okay for me to say. Absolutely. And I can, I can put that trigger in the show notes as well um, with the timestamp. Oh, that's great. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, so often, you know, I'm a, I am not house fan currently. And often when I'm out um, independent, you know, I'm uh, using my wheelchair. And uh, people will off, people really quite often have come up to me and said that if they were me, they, they, they feel they would suicide. Which, you know, has a, there's a lot of layers to that. A lot of layers, lot yeah. Of layers. I mean, and it speaks a lot to pain on their side, as well mm-hmm. as the microaggression that I receive. Yes. And so that's partially why I think it is a form of resistance, because many, mm-hmm. um, my life, life such as mine, are often portrayed as being a fate worse than death. Hmm. So I feel it, it's, it's potent resistance for me to resist internalizing that message. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm. Mm. Those are so wonderful. I feel, um, I feel like all of those points are so applicable, to, I mean, really to all of us, um, but I love that you've created this specifically for those who are, are you know, needing to change the world from their bed. Um, that's just, that's just fantastic. You know, and I, the, the other part of just your story and your work that um, strikes me too is things, you know, something that so many of us um, highly sensitive people struggle with is, you know, being highly sensitive, living with chronic conditions or disabilities and navigating this health system um, and, and a lot of times having to advocate for ourselves um, or just, you know, navigating the system with sensitivity um, while still being effective. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I have some experience around that, but, and I know this is a big topic to open up while we've just got, you know, a little bit of time left, but do you have, like, what can, what can you speak to, to that? What can you speak to in your experience or in the ways that you coach around um, being highly sensitive and navigating um, our healthcare systems? And I know that we live in different places. Healthcare is a little bit different, but um, yeah, can you speak to that a bit? You can take it wherever you want. Okay. No, no, I think I, I, think I can. Um, and actually, I do have, um, I have a course um, which is um, opening up, hopefully, for registration this, this year. It hasn't, um, I, 
you know, been focusing on work with one-on-one clients for quite a few years, so I haven't opened this course for a long time. Um, but it's called the Phoenix Fire Academy. Um, <sighs> I love it so much. Um, about um, and it, it's how you can rise from the ashes and blaze a trail. Um, yeah. And we do actually have a whole section in it, a whole um, yes, a, a whole section on 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 how to work with the health system. Awesome. Well, we'll make sure to put, we'll put a link to that course for whenever it opens up, people can be checking back for a registration, but continue. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. So uh, I think some of it is, I suppose, I suppose I'm just very touching very lightly on some of the, on it in, the, in this moment. Mm-hmm. There's kind of three, um, you know, light touches that I can talk to at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, the first one would be um, our, let's call it like the soma. So, you know, our bodies. Yeah. So navigating the health system with our bodies um, is I've, you know, really wanted uh, to notice how these things affect me, whether mm-hmm. that is a doctor's waiting room or an interaction with a certain person or um, how difficult it felt when people asked me about um, my health challenges or people posting me kind of cures that they're passively, aggressively, subtly insisting that I try. And if I don't try, then I don't really want to get better. And perhaps I'm lying. <sighs> you know, there's a, a, a whole lot of that. So yeah. I, um, in each, I stopped. Um, I used to wish they didn't affect me. And so hope right. they didn't affect me. And just trying to ignore how much they affected me. So that did not work. So then one by one, right. I started to look, obviously, unfortunately, despite <laughs> massive attempts, that, that did not have success. So right. one by one, I started looking at how they affect me. And this is kind of where being a trailblazer um, mentally really, really helps me. So, for example, when I travel on public transport, which I do quite a lot, um, I, you know, can get um, infections, like viral infections, and kind of coughs and colds and things. And I've had a lot, a lot of chest and breathing problems. And, you know, a, a, a cold can put me out of commission for quite a long time, or at mm-hmm. least really reduce what I can do. Um, and so uh, what I started doing was wearing a mask. Sure. And it's got a filter in it. And it's really <laughs> lovely. And you can get them. They're actually kind of pricey, these masks. They're called, they're called Vogue masks. But um, you can get them to match all different outfits. <laughs> I, um, but then I'm also aware that, you know, I don't need lots of them, you know, kind of li- living relatively lightly. I have one that goes with everything and, and that's okay. Um, yeah. And so I started doing things like, you know, making sure that when I go to a medical appointment, I have something to look at so that I don't look at the posters on the walls or the magazines because uh. the posters on the walls tend to be terrifying. And yeah. the magazines tend to be relatively conventional and about things which might be quite triggering for me. Right. Um, I then also made sure that I donated non-conventional magazines to the doctors and the hospitals so that mm. they would hopefully be non-conventional magazines there for others. Mm-hmm. And just being okay with, with the idea that, um, you know what, I wear a mask. Yeah. And you know what, I... I will take the things I need with me. Or people often say, like, I have a lot of bags. And I think, you know what, I do have a lot of bags because I carry in my, in my handbag a hospital kit in case I am taken emergency into hospital. 
because that's happened. And yeah. so when the last time it happened, I was in um, A&E majors, which is, um, I think, like ER, um, mm-hmm. for, you know, some hours and then was admitted as an inpatient. But with me, I had um, an eye mask, an iPod, journal, book, my medications. Um, I had uh, the palm stones that we had in healing boxes, which you can hold on to that have got lovely words in them, but they're not mm. crystals. They haven't been mined anywhere worrying. Um, mm. they're, they're just handmade from, um, uh, from this, this beautiful um, clay. By, uh, and they're, they're really beautifully done. And I had um, clean, clearing sprays, which I've made from herbs in my garden to, mm. to clear a space around me. Mm-hmm. Um, so I basically had most of my stuff with me. And so I was pretty kind of sorted. And so, you know, that helps me to navigate because I knew that I was set, that I had what I needed. And when I actually had to have a CT scan, um, I remember being in the CT scanner and I looked down and I thought, well, you know what, I may be in a CT scanner. It may be the middle of the night and I may be terrified and not know what's happening with my own brain. But you know what, I have kick-ass vegan motorcycle boots on and that matters. (laughs) <laughs> of course it matters oh that's awesome and that and that helped and so yes, you know making yes. when I was in hospital they they were really wanting me to put on pajamas but uh-huh. I did not want to put on pajamas because um I didn't really want to be in my pajamas in front of a, a ward full of strangers so mm-hmm. I was like no no I'm I'm gonna gonna do this and so some of some of it's around you know noticing when I when you're being asked to do something which is difficult for you. Like I don't like wearing hospital gowns. So I've got a wrap dress, which kind of generally they let me wear instead of a hospital gown Mm -hmm. because it, it um, doesn't have any metal in it anywhere. Right. And so I, I use that. And so then I'm still wearing, I still feel like my individuality is very with me. I still feel very much like myself. I don't feel disempowered. Um, And so yeah to working with what what you need for your body within that system and thinking you know in what small way can i meet this need and sometimes it can actually be quite challenging because you actually have to advocate why you should be able to get to keep doing things right but i kind of, i find that if i if i have the thing that i want whether it's um doing um some sketching from my hospital bed or whatever it is the fact that I have it helps me to get a little bit of energy that I could then use to advocate to keep having it. Right, right. So, so mm-hmm. that that kind of really, really helps. Um, the I'm trying to remember my other points now, which I really should have noted down when I was saying them. So um, <laughs> I think that, since, yeah, working with our body. I think the second point is having an awareness of your needs and then of what the healthcare system is, whatever yeah. your healthcare system is. So for example, often I work with people and you know they're, they're trying to get diagnosed and they're very, very frustrated and it's been a long time and they're really, really struggling. And I really, really get that. And the classic thing that happens, and I've done it myself, so I know exactly, what this, exactly how it feels to do this, is the, it feels like your medical team just aren't turning up any answers. And mm-hmm. so you, know, you go online and you find something and you print it off, and you bring it to the doctor, and you highlight it, and what happens? Your working relationship with the doctor really takes a dive. Yeah. Because maybe, you know, 
they're taught to in many ways to to find solutions and to kind of you know to 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 um fill that that knowledge gap you know to work out what's going on so it can actually feel very scary when they can't do that mm-hmm. and sometimes very disempowering and very very painful and they may or may not be aware of this to a greater or lesser extent mm-hmm. and then if you get it on wikipedia then they kind of maybe think well why did i get a medical degree mm-hmm. and and it can be and also sometimes people people bring in these huge wadges because they're desperate you know, yeah. and they have um, a, a, a little poster on it that says to read when you've got time. Mm-hmm. And the doctor is just like, I have no time. Right. Like, there, there is no time. So yeah. it, 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 on, on all sides, it gets really challenging. So a really simple way, which people, which I work with people to, to switch this, is instead of bringing a notepad to the doctors, they mm-hmm. just bring a postcard or, or an index card. And then they, so as soon as they pull out a postcard or index card, the doctor immediately thinks, well, there's not much on it. Right. And suddenly the doctor isn't switching off because they've hauled out a huge notepad. Right. So it's being aware that, you know, you have these concerns mm-hmm. and what is, this, what is the system you're working with, trying to get a sense of the ground and thinking, what is the most appropriate way that I can be here that's going to get my needs met. And right. is it great that we have to code switch in this way so much? No. So then the third thing is being aware of how much it impacts us to have to do self-advocacy and, um, and then go forward. Mm. Yeah, that makes so much sense. Um, I think the thing I'd like to finish with then here uh grace i always like to finish with you know what's the one thing you would love listeners to know fantastic question the one thing that i would love listeners to know is that i believe in you and i believe you and i'm glad you're here thank you so much for doing this with me today grace thank you I've been absolutely delighted. It's, I, I so enjoy this podcast. It's an utter, utter honor. Um, oh. And thank you very much for sharing your time and energy with me, which I know is incredibly precious. Oh, thank you. Thanks again for listening to The Soul of Sensitivity. Show notes and links from today's episode can be found at www.sensitivityuncensored.com. If you would like to read more about high sensitivity or intuition, sign up for my mailing list book an intuitive reading with me, or learn more about my membership group, The Refuge for Sacred Rebellion, please visit my website. Again, it's www.sensitivityuncensored.com.